Our scripture reading, first scripture reading, is found in Mark chapter 10. I'll be reading verses 13 through 16 in Mark chapter 10. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them, and the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid hands on them, and blessed them. Our second scripture reading is a portion of 1 Corinthians 13 that has been described as the love chapter and that is read at a lot of weddings and was read at a wedding last weekend. So I'm reading a portion of that chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with verse 4 and going through verse 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Sherry, got one for you this morning. All right. Don't have Andy here, so it's going to have to be on you today. Here are the lyrics. What about love? Don't you want someone to care about you? What about love? Don't let it slip away. What about love? I only want to share it with you. You might need it someday. Oh, come on. What's the name of the song? Anybody know the name of the song? What about love? Thank you. All right. Don't over, don't overlook the obvious. Don't overlook the obvious. What about love? Martha got it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Who sings it? Who? I can sing it. Not Tina Turner. <laughs> Not Journey. Not Boston. No, goodness. Not, <clears throat> Not Bonnie Raitt. Heart. Heart. 1985, Heart. Heart singing a song called What About Love? Kind of cool, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that Ann Wilson of Heart is singing about romantic love. But it could also be a question that we ask ourselves in our world today. What about love? Don't let it slip away. And so I begin by asking this morning, has love slipped away in our world. Seriously. Is love becoming a thing of the past? Rachel and Jason's wedding last weekend, I was a weak stand-in for Miss Maxine as I read 1 Corinthians 13 from the message, Miss Maxine. And you know, when you think about it, it might be that Paul outdid himself when he wrote that portion of his letter to the church in Corinth. You see, we read it at weddings all the time. It seems to be such a complete description of love. Those contemplating marriage would be wise 
to heed Paul's words. But just like heart song, what about love, was intended to be talking about romantic love, and we use it for other purposes, 1 Corinthians 13 was not intended to describe romantic love, even though we relegate it almost exclusively to readings at weddings. No, Paul wasn't speaking to a married couple. Paul was speaking to the church, more specifically the church at Corinth, and by extension, to the church today. Maxine from the message, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. There's a sermon. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Another sermon. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. That's a good one. Doesn't revel when others grovel. That's my favorite part of the one on the message. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trusts God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back. But keeps going to the end. The Sundays I have left before you as pastor are slipping away fairly quickly. Now, I thought a good bit about some of the things I would like to leave with you, and I would guess this would be one of them, that you as a church and that we as individuals constantly ask ourselves, what about love? When it comes to the Corinthian church, Paul is declaring love as the greatest power to this community of believers, it seems to be lacking in that area. It's a far cry from a couple standing at the altar declaring their steadfast devotion to each other. Folks, the members of the Corinthian church are nowhere near a love fest, I'm here to tell you. A lady named Shively Smith, who is the assistant professor of New Testament at Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., describes the Corinthian church in this way. She writes, Unlike the marriage vow moment, Paul does not introduce the passage to affirm an ethic already present in that church. He presents this passage as a way to introduce into that church an ethic that is necessary if they are to survive the muddy waters of difference and disagreement produced in interpersonal relationships. The Corinthian church was not a homogeneous body. Its members were not all of the same kind and ilk. This was not a comfortable gathering where people fell into step with each other because they shared fundamentally similar lives, values, and experiences. Quite the contrary, she writes. The Corinthian fellowship transgressed conventional social boundaries of ethnicity, gender, rank, status, and life situation. There are married and unmarried men and women, as well as widows and children among them. While most of its members are converted Gentiles, this body also includes Jews. In fact, some of these Jewish members were rather powerful figures who served as former synagogue leaders like Crispus and Sosthenes. Crispus is one of my favorite biblical names, by the way. Most of its members were from lower classes, 
But some sat on the opposite side in rank and resources. Erastus, that's another good one. Erastus was the city treasurer of Corinth, and Gaius had enough resources to support Paul and the whole church. There are slaves and free people in the community, as well as people with different sets of skills and gifts. The diversity within the church of Corinth generated both benefits and challenges common for any social group. Unfortunately, the diversity among the Corinthians dissolved into discord and rivalry. Members divided themselves into contentious groups taking sides. This was a fragmented community rather than being enriched by their differences. Accordingly, Paul underscores the primacy of love in 1 Corinthians 13 because it is a spiritual resource the Corinthians lacked the most. She finishes by writing this. Make no mistake, the love Paul is talking about here is not passive and fluffy. This kind of love is an up at dawn, feet on the ground, tools in hand, working kind of love. It builds communities. It nurtures positive social interactions and not just social networks, which many of us have come to prefer. Paul's declaration of love unifies. Love is the way by which we talk to each other, eat with one another, fellowship together, and affirm all. Love transcends our self-imposed caste systems and personal biases. It forms whole and holistic people who are anchored in the well-being of others. Catch that. It forms whole and holistic people who are anchored in the well-being of others others. Love will not let us down if we genuinely live in it together, she writes. So my friends, as my time winds down with you, I would wish for you and pray for you to love each other in 1 Corinthians 13 style. Unity amid diversity. I've bragged on this church on so many occasions as I speak of a small but diverse group of people. I tell others we have people from both ends of the political and theological spectrums. I tell folks that we are careful to let each other say his or her peace, that we are okay with disagreements, and that we can love each other in spite of our differences. That is, you shaking your head. You're shaking your head. What are you shaking your head for, Sally? Well, let's do. Let's do. Shaking your head. All right. Shake it. This is real love, folks. It's real love. It's a church and how it's intended to operate. But more specifically, the church within these walls. That's how you and I are supposed to interact with each other. There is, however, another aspect of this love. And it has to do with how we interpret Scripture as it relates to those outside these walls. All of this hit the public arena a few weeks ago. 
when our government instituted a policy that would separate children from their families when they were crossing the border illegally. In the past, children had been separated only when it was perceived that there was a threat toward children. But now there was a zero tolerance policy put in place. And in justification of removing children from their parents, the Attorney General of the United States, Jeff Sessions, quoted scripture from Romans 13. This is a quote from him. He, he says, I would cite you to the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained the government for his purposes. Asked to provide clarity by a reporter who wondered where does, where does it say in the Bible that it's moral to take children from their mothers, White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders offered an assertion of her own. She says, I can say that it's very biblical to enforce the law that is repeated throughout the Bible. Folks, if the Attorney General of the United States is going to quote scripture to defend policy, then the church needs to respond. In fact, this demands a response from the church. The church would be derelict in its duty if it did not respond to the bold public assertions with attempted justification by scripture from government officials. The passage that Sessions refers to in Romans is as follows. Romans 13.1 Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. What Mr. Sessions and Ms. Sanders failed to do was to scroll down further in the same chapter in Romans where Paul writes, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. The one who loves has fulfilled the law. Paul writes the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. I go back to the quote. She said, I can say that it is very biblical to enforce the law. It's repeated throughout Scripture. I've got to tell you, I'm stunned to hear that. It's biblical to enforce the law? Really? So if we continue with Paul's words where he says, love is the fulfilling of the law. The one who loves has fulfilled the law. Where, my friends, in the world does separating young children from their parents fit into this? Where does it fit? Tell me. Because I don't see it. Because it doesn't fit. You see, we as a church are to love each other inside these walls, but outside these walls. How do we interpret Scripture in relation to how we treat other people? There are two ways. We can interpret it in terms of love or hate. We choose. The Bible, folks, the Bible repeated throughout the Bible is that we are treat, to treat others with love from cover to cover. And that includes the strangers among us from cover to cover. The same book quoted in Romans. Scroll back to chapter 12. 
Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. From cover to cover, we are told not, in fact, to focus on enforcing the law, but we are told to love the stranger among us. From the Old Testament, Leviticus, if you want to go to the Old Testament, when the alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as a citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 27, Cursed be anyone who deprives the alien of justice. Go to the New Testament, Matthew 25. Very familiar passage regarding the least of these among us, where Jesus says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And when you welcome this stranger, you are welcoming me. In fact, Jesus himself had no problem whatsoever in breaking a law if it meant helping someone who needed him. And especially when it came to children. I dare say he would think it an abomination to institute any type of policy that pulls innocent children from their parents, not knowing whether they would ever be reunited again. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we hear a version of the story I'm going to read from Matthew from the message. At about the same time, the disciples came to Jesus asking, Who gets the highest rank in God's kingdom? For an answer, Jesus called over a child whom he stood in the middle of the room and said, I'm telling you once and for all that unless you return to square one and start over like children, you're not even going to get a look at the kingdom, let alone go get in. Whoever becomes simple and elemental again like this child will rank high in God's kingdom. What's more, when you receive this child on my account, it's the same as receiving me. But if you give them a hard time, bullying or taking advantage of their simple trust, you'll soon wish you hadn't. You'd be better off dropped in the middle of a lake with a millstone around your neck. Doom to the world for giving these God-believing children a hard time comes back to love folks it comes back to love every time Paul wrote about it Jesus talked about it it is the one constant that we see throughout the Bible not law enforcement God demonstrating his love toward us toward you and me with us demonstrating our love toward each other in the church and for the church to demonstrate that love to those outside these walls.
If there's ever a doubt about how to treat someone else, if there's ever a question as to how to interpret the Bible, a good rule of thumb is to interpret in love rather than hate. A good place to start is to always ask, what about love?